I'm going to work for a respectable asset manager. In my mind, I was going into a very advanced environment, but boy, <laughs> I was so wrong. That was uh, really a huge shock that how much was done in Excel sheet. I'm morbidly curious when people are doing this reckoning by hand slowly in Excel sheets. What is the worst Excel error that you've ever seen caused by knife and forking this process? It's at least six zeros, but probably a bit more. You're listening to Stories from the Workshop, a podcast about software and the people who build it. I'm your host, Meredith Luff. I'm the founder of Anvil, platform for building full-stack web apps entirely in Python, and that means I meet a bunch of interesting people. This time, I'm speaking to the team behind Basis Point. They're financial industry veterans who were astonished by what primitive tools people use to manage multi-billion dollar investment portfolios. So they set out to build something better. They've assembled a library of financial components they can use to build bespoke analytics systems for any investment manager. I started out by asking them how they got into the intersection between finance and development. It was born out of necessity uh, because when I first started working for Asset Manager, it was an absolute shock for me that this respectable company was working mainly with Excel tools to do complex calculations on which like tens and hundreds of millions were traded. And the work consisted of a lot of repetitive and error-prone copy-pasting from one huge Excel sheet to the other. So it was quite a shock. And so I started working on improving Excel processes using VBA, uh, purely out of necessity to lighten my own work. Uh, so And this led eventually to some great results and also acknowledgement from the company, uh, which in turn led to more freedom to play around with other modern tech. Mm-hmm. Um, and then for me, the absolute turning point came when I was playing, when I started playing around in Python and also Power BI. And within one or two years, I started to automate processes and calculations, which prior were deemed impossible by the company. And I was then allowed to create a team uh, together with uh, two of my current uh, Basepoint colleagues, uh, Marcin and Olivier. And we were allowed to solely focus on creating solutions for the entire business. And that's basically actually how our idea of Basepoint started and how we all started programming a lot. So Julius, how did you get into programming? Do you also have a financial background? My programming adventure started uh, in college. Mm-hmm. I uh, yeah moved quite quickly to Python, I think. But that was also caused by working at a former company where I... Uh, Happened to uh, to know Steven, Martin, uh, Uge, and the other uh, guys, mm-hmm. uh, because that was obviously a lot of uh, Excel uh, Excel based. But then they started programming a lot in Python. That's when I uh, found out that Python was yeah way easier than uh, than uh, working in Java or metrics. <laughs> so uh, that helped me a lot, and that's uh, basically how I ended up in uh, programming in Python. Uche, do you want to give us a potted history of uh, how you ended up in finance and writing code? So for me, it's more of ending up in finance than in writing code in general, because I'm, I think all the guys involved, I'm, uh, let's say, more coming from the investment risk management angle, asset management angle, than, than from the, the coding angle to begin with. But uh, yeah, as a, as a user, actually, of the end product, or let's say needing the end product uh, working smoothly... Uh, making sure that I didn't need to do any uh, copy-pasting in Excel whatsoever. And then I also got interested into coding. So now uh, I try to get up to speed with these uh, with these guys and uh, yeah, link it up a bit to the investment and risk management principles in general. So uh, yeah, that's how I got involved with this uh, stuff, just by 
having a, a, needing a tool to perform the day-to-day -day, uh, job of an investment or risk manager, and then finding out that it's uh, very handy if then you also have some understanding of code and mm -hmm. uh, a proper code, let's say, no VBA uh, dependency. Yep. Marcin, although you have a finance background, I understand you're slightly the odd one out in a set of people who started from the uh, Excel and Asset Management side. For me, this, the, the, the venture with programming started also at the university, but uh, more on using the, the, the more st uh, statistics-oriented uh, uh, programming language like uh, SAS mm -hmm. or R and, um, and MATLAB. Uh, but later on, when I, um, uh, when I started my professional career, I, I immediately jumped into developing uh, financial libraries, so, so libraries that are used to, to price uh, uh, investment products. Uh, and those were um, uh, they, uh, they are learned to program in uh, C sharp, C plus mm. plus, and later on Python. So you all come from the financial world. Some of you doing more development than others, and you set out to create a technology company, Basis Point. Why? I mean, let's start by asking, what is Basis Point? What do you do? A uh, better point to start at is is why did we uh, why did we start doing this? Mm -hmm. And it actually is due to our experience within the financial sector. So as you as we were just describing, when we encountered working in an asset management firm or in a custodian or bank where we worked previously, we found out that while you had to do your work, there was quite a lot of Excel dependency, and it wasn't working, let's say, smoothly mm -hmm. and rather co complex and. Uh, a responsible calculation, let's say, so uh, calculations that are linked to indeed uh, tens, if not hundreds of billions of, uh, of euros or pounds uh, being thrown around, um, were all linked actually to not such a robust uh, uh, setup. And then if you want to perform your, uh, your, your work-related duties, let's say, in a very responsible and also efficient uh, and, and challenging way, uh, then yeah, you'd rather not have this all uh, depending on... Uh, yeah, copy-pasting, manual errors being uh, very uh, uh, occurring uh, rather frequently. So then we, uh, while experiencing this when working at asset managers and, and finding out that, hey, but you can actually do it in a different way that makes life easier, makes the output much nicer, as well as uh, uh, makes the dependency uh, uh, much more robust in a sense. Uh, yeah, why not do it in such a way? And then uh, that's, that's also why we came up with, with basis point. Because what we, what we strive for is, let's say, getting financial data, whatever it is, for an asset manager, a bank, or whatsoever, and translating this data via calculations and proper data structuring into uh, the right insights for people that are responsible for managing money. Whether or not it's at a bank, it's at an uh, asset manager, whether or not it's a pension fund, just people that are responsible for managing money, one way or the other, to make sure that they have the infrastructure that allows them to be uh, in control as well as have the right uh, insights. And that's basically what we do. We provide a proper infrastructure that uh, is, is quick, reliable, and very insightful, and, and hence uh, works uh, most efficiently for anyone working in the financial industry. So would it be right to say that you take the common tasks that people all over the financial industry do with horrible copy and pasting around half-working Excel spreadsheets and deliver them as polished software products? Yeah, indeed. So, so, and also the, the way we explain this to clients more often than not is we say you're normally used to having Excel as being more or less your database as well as your source and as well as your calculation engine whatsoever. Mm -hmm. and, and then the output ends up somewhere in a uh, uh, PowerPoint or, or, or you name, uh, you name mm -hmm. it. 
and we actually turn it around. We say you're you're no longer allowed to use uh, uh, as a source for either data structuring or calculation in Excel, but whenever you want to tap into the new infrastructure where there are calculations being performed and there is data being stored in a proper way, you can always retrieve it via Excel to just have some insights that you wanted to have in the first place. Mm-hmm. But that's, uh, let's say, so turning it around. Instead of starting from Excel, you might be able to end with the uh, output being downloaded to an Excel file, but you're never allowed to use uh, the start, Excel as the starting point and the base of your calculation. And that's the way we, we want to set it up and how we want to uh, create our, 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 our business and the solutions for our clients. Stephen? Yeah, because uh, you just said, uh, well, basically replacing common tasks, uh, but often these are not very common tasks, but these uh, companies have to perform on a daily basis. Uh, so these are actually um, a lot of very complex calculations that you have to have some uh, deep uh, mathematical knowledge like uh, Martian has uh, to be able to model all these kind of uh, uh, well products in the financial world, like, for example, derivatives. Uh, we work a lot of with uh, all kinds of products, like uh, whether if it's uh, some kind of uh, actually option or, or swap or swaption, there are a lot of kind of... Um, uh, derivatives that uh, needs uh, deep understanding of the model behind it. Um, so yeah, uh, basically we are not focused on really common tasks like everybody can do, but we're uh, really focused on the tasks that are um, well a bit more difficult for uh, these people to do. And in general, there are no um, good solutions in the market for these kinds of, um, of stuff that we do. For example, there are off-the-shelf uh, uh, huge uh, software packages. But these software packages are really expensive, like uh, running into fees of uh, millions per year, very difficult to implement and never uh, tailor-made. So, for example, if they need to, uh, they can buy in some off-the-shelf product, then they need a team of developers, uh, consultants to uh, get on board. They'll take one or two years or more to uh, make it uh, custom to your infrastructure, and then what you're left is not even that what you're looking for because it still doesn't meet exactly the specification that uh, you have. And we jump in there because we build everything tailor-made with Envil. Let, let's talk about your customers. Uh, who are they? What sort of companies do you serve? So yeah, mainly institutional investors. So that, that could be any, any party from an asset manager to a pension fund to a fiduciary manager or a, a bank or a custodian or an insurer. For instance, and currently uh, our, our current clients are a development finance investment funds or, or funding platform. But uh, yeah, we envision us just servicing in general institutional investors and financial institutions. How long have you guys been running? Not so long, actually. We started first of first uh, of January, uh, but we have been working on this idea about roughly a year. So you're actually serving live clients less than six months after starting up, which is really quite an achievement. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Actually, uh, funny story is that before we actually uh, set up the company, we mm-hmm. already got our first pilot uh, project for a client. So even before we had the full incorporation done, we had our first client, which was uh, we, we we are well aware of the fact that this was quite a, a luxury position to be in. Well, uh, make use of it while you have it. I'm going to dig in because most people listening to this will not be deeply versed in uh, uh, in finance. Uh, what is an asset manager and what is a development finance firm and what do they have in common? Yes, good question. Um, so an asset manager is somebody, some party or some institution that you uh, say, uh, here you have a pile of money 
please manage please mm-hmm. manage it properly on, on on our behalf let's say as as an investor so let's say potentially you or, or anybody else uh, uh, has mm-hmm. for instance uh, an obligation to put some money into a pension fund account or a pension fund uh, mm-hmm. uh, or, or just an, a pension account let's say and then somebody needs to pick mm-hmm. up this money and invest it somewhere either they buy shares of well-known companies such as uh, Apple or or Amazon for instance but could as well be that they buy also uh, bonds such as uh, uh, treasury bonds or government bonds from uh, the, the, the Dutch or the UK government or you, you, you name it, let's say. So mm-hmm. the main thing that the institutions do that we help, they are more or less managing other people's money. That's And, mm-hmm. and that's what an asset manager does. Um, and they get paid a fee in order to manage it properly. And similar thing uh, applies to development finance, only for development finance, what is, it's, it's linked. So you have a financial institution, let's say a bank, but it's not a privately owned company. Or privately owned bank but it's a bank that's being uh, owned and incorporated on behalf of the government of a certain country or a group of countries for instance you have the mm-hmm. european investment bank which is a bank that is uh, 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 just uh, set up by a group of european countries it is also uh, owned by all these european countries and uh, with the money that's within the bank they try and facilitate the development of developing countries so let's say in Eastern Europe or in Africa or Southeast mm-hmm. Asia, you name it. And they do that by what investing in pro- in specific commercial projects within these countries. Indeed. So either they provide loans to uh, local banks there. So let's say it's a bit harder for a bank in, uh, let's say, Uganda to uh, raise money and to 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 borrow money from, let's say, private investors. And what they can do then is they apply for a loan at such a development finance institute. And then it's easier to get the money because it also has a development impact in that sense. Mm-hmm. And then there are certain rules attached to the loan that you can get as a bank in Africa or, or Latin America whatsoever. And as long as you adhere to those rules, you get, let's say, some cheaper money and therefore you have a chance to invest that money via lending it out again to small and medium-sized enterprises within the country itself or to invest in, in shares of, uh, of companies in such, such countries. The common thread between these these banks, development finance, asset managers, pension funds is they're all looking after other people's money. So, what do you what do you do for them? Yeah, so what we do is, if you're looking after other people's money, and uh, probably the same also if you need to look after the money or the bank account of your grandma, let's say, you want to do it in a you want to do it in a responsible way. So you want to know what comes in, what's the value of what's in, and and how does it how is it spent again in the end, let's say. Mm-hmm. Oh, and in order to be in charge of this uh, uh, accounting, let's say, um, but not only accounting, just being in charge of all the flows and all the relevant valuations, etc., you need to have a proper infrastructure that deals either on a daily, intraday, weekly, or monthly basis with seeing, okay, what do we have in terms of investments? What did come in in terms of uh, cash flows, either from the investments or from uh, new investors? entering into the fund or putting some more money in their pension uh, pension accounts. And then in the end also, when all the money gets back and we need to pay it out again to the people who we were servicing it for, uh, we need to know for sure that uh, we pay out the right amount of money to the, to the right person, let's say. Um, so all in all, just being in control of all the uh, uh, data flow, financial data flow and insights while managing other people's money. And, and we help with building an infrastructure that does exactly that. So knowing where the data is, knowing what the value is, and also providing insights into 
what the value is for certain layers, whether or not it's geography or type of investment, you name it. What were these companies doing? What are uh, the other non-customers in the world? What were they doing before you automated this? So sort of knife and forking stuff with Excel. But I mean, uh, Stephen just said they weren't even like they weren't even doing some of these calculations on a regular basis. Like, how, how do most of these entities work today? So either they perform these complex calculations only on a monthly basis in an Excel sheet, mm-hmm. whereas if you do it in a in a proper infrastructure, you can do it on a daily basis or even intraday basis without any Excel sheet. And exactly this kind of uh, added value is what we deliver when we uh, set up an infrastructure for, for, for any of our clients, because then you can move to a much higher frequency in calculation, being more in control as well as having, let's say, more frequent insights because you can just have the insights on a daily basis instead of only on, on a monthly basis. And then even if it's a monthly basis, uh, you can get probably the figures for the end of May. You will only receive them, let's say, uh, now when we're talking to each other on the 23rd of uh, uh, June. So, yeah, you already see that it takes also quite a lot of time. There's a lot of lag between the actual moment for which the calculation is made up until the time where you receive the calculation output, let's say. That, that is mind-blowing to me, that there are these institutions out there w- with that many millions under management who do not have an easy way to ask. I mean, even, like, what is the value of my holdings? Because they're waiting for somebody to do a long, complex and error-prone Excel calculation from the end of last month. That That is bonkers to me i i how does the industry hold together yeah well for for us i think it was also for me especially i i really think it was uh, a, a huge shock <laughs> so i really didn't expect that i was thinking hey um i'm going to work for a respectable asset manager they have uh, not millions but billions uh, that they're dealing with so yeah for me in my mind i was going into a very advanced environment so they have uh, very advanced systems uh, great software i just need to uh, I, I got all the data i need uh, whenever i want and a few clicks on a button i could do an analysis uh, but boy <laughs> i was so wrong uh, so yeah that was uh, really a huge shock that how much was done in excel sheet and the more I worked in the in at this energy venture, you come also in contact with uh, other parties also in the financial world, uh, and then you start to notice that basically it's uh, same everywhere. It's it's not just this manager; it's the whole industry, and they're way behind, and that's really surprising for us as well. I can see that's what <laughs> that so that tempted you to just get out there and fix it. I'm morbidly curious when people are doing this reckoning by hand slowly in excel sheets it, you've got to be risking some kind of mistakes right if you can say what is the worst excel error that you've ever seen caused by knife and forking this process it's, it's at least six zeros but probably a bit more whoa okay let's say in relative terms because if you're managing let's say a hundred billion uh for a big uh, client let's say, and you need to make a report over this 100 billion. Yeah, okay, if you make a one percentage point uh, uh, mistake, left or right, the impact is already uh, uh, quite severe, right? Because it's already 1 billion. Then in terms of... What's the phrase? A million here, a million there, <laughs> sooner or later it adds up to real money? <laughs> Something like that, yeah. But it also depends, and it might be also good to have this distinction, that one is, uh, you can make two errors. One in the reporting, 
well, then it's not really so. It's still uh, annoying and not very good because uh, obviously you report it to any client or any uh, committee who is responsible for managing the money that it was worth, uh, let's say, a hundred billion uh, and one instead of a uh, hundred billion. Let's say, okay, mm-hmm. could be. Uh, but then at least you're reporting, but it has no effect in, uh, on, on the actual cash flows that you receive, let's say the actual investment value. But the more important mistake is when you start trading on it. So when you start executing a certain contract, investing in a certain uh, share or equity or divesting a certain share or equity, and then you make this mistake because once trading and you make this mistake, then the money is really gone because you just executed this transaction with another party. But for both, for both parts of the, let's say, financial system, it works uh, similarly. There can be errors both in the reporting side as well as in the calculation, actual execution side. I would say, uh, in general, the setup is, uh, uh, yeah, a bit flawed and error-prone for, for either, either of these two uh, channels. Yeah, I can understand why you don't really want to give anecdotes in that case. All right, so... Let's move on to how you solve this problem. So you said you build bespoke software for these particular clients. Do you want to walk me through some of the sorts of things that you do and the sorts of things that you build? Basically, we need to do a lot of analytics and uh, mm-hmm. reports to give insights to portfolio managers, to these guys who uh, invest in, in who uh, trades products um, that go on the balance sheet of uh, such companies to do the investments. Well, first, of course, we started doing all this stuff in Excel uh, because that's how the whole business works. Um, but then we started to understand uh, the process uh, better and better. And then you notice that, okay, uh, so we always do this and this and this. So um, the process gets more um, streamlined in your head. So you start to understand, hey, there are similarities here and there. If we could set up a, a standard process, that's much more efficient. We, can, we don't have to repeat this, these steps all the time, just uh, optimizing uh, processes. And then using Python, uh, and then having uh, being uh, having worked with a business intelligence tool like Power BI, uh, we learn to combine everything. So first of all, we understand exactly uh, what at the end the client uh, need to see. So the analytics that uh, they need to see, they're interested in, um, and we know exactly what's at the beginning of the streets. Uh, hey, these are the data sources available in your company. Uh, and then we know all the steps that will lead to uh, this end result, this analytics and reports. We learned to uh, develop uh, Python uh, packages that uh, basically uh, wraps all these things together. So what we do is um, uh, using Python, we get data from all kinds of data sources, whether it's uh, you're talking about APIs or Excel sheets or some XML uh, files, FTP. Um, we gather like 20, 30 sources together to get the right data uh, together. Uh, and then we structure the data nicely because what you notice, uh, what always is underestimated in this uh, financial world and in general everywhere is uh, data structure. Uh, data is very important and how you structure it, it's very important because um, it will give you much more flexibility and robustness in your uh, process later on. Um, so basically, we first uh, we we get all the data together, we uh, we structure it, and then we have our financial library. So just I'm just going to cut in with an anecdote. If if you want 
anecdotes about truly hellish unstructured data. A couple of episodes ago, I talked to Kevin Dalius, who runs a company uh, managing product catalog data for retails, completely different to what you normally do. But the data there is so poorly structured, he needs machine learning algorithms to parse these supposed CSV files, because they are so uh, malstructured. <laughs> oh, so it can always be worse. Wow. Well, well, yeah. That's, uh, check uh... out that, that episode was Rakomi uh, a, a few episodes ago in the feed if you want to go. Sorry, carry on. Okay, so, well, that's that sounds interesting. I will, I will, <laughs> I will look it up. So you've got your data structured. What do you do next? Yeah, we got our data structure, and and then we need to um, do the calculations basically. And and to do calculation, we need a quantitative financial library, and that's where, for example, Martian uh, comes in. Uh, you need to extensive uh, knowledge of the quantitative uh, library. You need to understand how to model all different kind of instruments. Uh, suppose you want to model uh, a certain uh, financial instrument like a swap, then you need to know what market data and exactly how the calculations are to be done. Uh, basically, that's a whole package that we wrap in Python, um, which then takes the so it takes the data, does all the calculations, and the calculations are then stored in a very structured way again uh, for proper uh, reporting. So if you structure it nicely, because uh, if you understand, for example, uh, how Power BI works, uh, Power BI really likes uh, databases, of course. Uh, it likes uh, tables to be stored in a database uh, way. A uh, simple example is that uh, people working in Excel, what they often do is, hey, uh, they will create um, 10 columns. And the next time they create 12 columns, every time the column uh, changes. but yeah, in a database, that's not mm -hmm. nice. You, you don't, it doesn't work this way because in Power BI, you will map a certain column to a visual. And if that changes every time, then you have a big problem. Yes, yeah, so so, wide versus long data and all that. <laughs> exactly. So then we structure, uh, store the results in a very nice way. And then uh, and also with understanding how what we are going to do with it in Power BI, uh, so that we then, in the next step, we build a Power BI dashboard on, on top of the data, and it is for us much more easy because we also don't we like we like simplicity. Uh, for example, uh, that's also what we like about Envil. We can do everything with Python. So take uh, Power BI. Power BI also have uh, different uh, languages. They have Docs and Power Query. Um, basically, these are query languages that uh, Power BI uh, uses, but yeah, we keep. We like to have things simple, understandable. We don't like to uh, create very complicated uh, queries in Power BI that makes uh, the reports slow and uh, complex. Um, so basically, we like to structure our data before uh, using Power BI uh, as much as possible. So basically, that's the whole street of the solution that we uh, we build. Uh, and next to that, uh, basically, so you talking about Power BI, that's basically uh, aesthetic reporting. So you have a report that is accessible by everybody, and it should cover, like, for example, I think 90% of your daily need of uh, information, insights. But sometimes uh, these portfolio managers uh, or anybody, they need to do uh, ad hoc analysis. So they need to do a calculation that hasn't been uh, pre-calculated, so therefore, we need to build apps. Uh, that's why our offering, our solution is also that we build portals where clients can uh, log in and then um, build custom um, application for them 
to use uh, whenever they want. So if I understand that right, based on your previous experience doing this all by hand in Excel uh, and having identified some similarities between what all these people need, uh, when a new client arrives, you look at what they what they need, what analytics they require for their uh, for the investments they're making. And then you build a data pipeline that gathers this data from all these different sources, uh, produces the analytics you want, and then you serve that up as both a standard dashboard they can look at any time for up to the moment data, and then also ad hoc applications for answering questions they have along the way. Is that an accurate summary? Uh, not entirely, just, be, uh, just because you said a standard dashboard. Uh, yes, um, so basically what we do is uh, it's all tailor-made. So there's a large part of which we can um, uh, scale up by having a library that can be used for all different clients. But at the end, uh, all the applications and dashboard we design exactly uh, suited to the need of the client. And that's why we differ from uh, off-the-shelf parties, uh, for example. Ah, so yes, because uh, from what you were saying earlier, something that is uh, supposedly off the shelf actually ends up requiring a lot of development work to produce what you want in the first place. So you might as well ask somebody who is a development house who has a bunch of powerful tools already hanging on the wall to build exactly what you want straight out. I'm getting a lot of nodding on the video. <laughs> yes, indeed. Yeah, that's, that's, that's exactly, uh, exactly what it is. Yeah. So... If everything you create, if every single dashboard, every single application is bespoke, you're not starting from scratch each time. So what are the building blocks you use? So yeah, let, let's start at the low level. So there is this open source library called Quantlib. And I know that, uh, Martin, you're one of the maintainers. Do you want to tell me a little bit about that? So what Quantlib does is uh, it, um, it provides uh, analytics to... Uh, uh, to, to value uh, all sorts of uh, financial products. So if you have, uh, let's say, uh, a bond, which is a very basic mm. financial product, and you want to monitor its uh, price and um, what kind of uh, cash flows are uh, and payments are coming out of this bond. Uh, in the so future. A, a bond is essentially you have lent a company or a government or something money. Yes. And then they will be and then you're paying you some interest over the life of the bond, and then exactly. the money, and then also paying back the principal some somehow at the it's, end. And you want to determine how much this is worth for you. Exactly, exactly. So, so if you would like to know what kind of payments uh, you will receive in the future that are re uh, linked to this uh, bond due to the interest that it's uh, paying, that uh, is what mm -hmm. simple example what uh, this library can uh, help you do. And, and the tricky part usually is to, to be able to know exactly, uh, exactly when a payment occurs. Uh, so in principle, you, it may seem that most financial products are not very difficult if you spend a little bit of time understanding them. But the, the main difficulty that is linked to, the, to that is the, the, the details. So that's, that's the complex uh, part. If you want to know exactly when your payment is going. That is something that, that needs a lot of attention mm -hmm. and um, uh, where you need a very robust um, uh, calculation engine. And that calculation engine is Quantlib in this case in our, uh, uh, for us mm -hmm. and also uh, widely recognized in the industry. Yeah, so this is an open source Python module. You can just pip install it like anything else? Yes, yeah. so uh, actually it's a, a Quantlib, it's a, it's a C++ library. 
uh, it's written in C++, but it is, um, it is, uh, there is an interface to Python where you can just download, uh, you can just pip install it. It's, uh... So this is interesting to me because you've got a this industry where at one end you've got sort of everybody building these things for themselves half-heartedly out of Excel. And at the other end, you've got a proper open source community around an open source library for really high quality versions of those calculations. It's interesting that you've got these two worlds existing in the same industry. Yeah, yeah. In some some way, that's indeed uh, interesting. That's to be said that uh, let's say the the bigger uh, parties, such as banks, or also asset manager, also previous employer. So when they were building this financial library in house, it was still built, uh, let's say, uh, properly within uh, C or C sharp, uh, or let's say uh, a more uh, advanced coding language. So it wasn't that this this library was built in Excel, let's say, but still it was u- used and accessed via Excel. It was only uh, or mainly depending on that kind of structure. And therefore, maybe the library on itself was set up properly, but the way in how to maintain it and how to use it then in a robust way, that was what was uh, lacking more on on, on that part, whether or not you were in a big bank or an asset manager or whatsoever. And that's what we are also now more or less trying to do with our solution. We're saying, okay, you have this library, don't build it yourself, just do it based on open source and try to contribute to that because it's much more powerful and, and, and easier to maintain and why reinvent the wheel again. Combined with that, you make sure that this library that you use, which is very robust, is then used in a proper infrastructure instead of mainly or solely accessing this library via a package in which you do not want to maintain a database or perform calculation being Excel. So that's what we more or less changed uh, or what we're trying to change with our setup. So that's Quantlib, which is one of the low-level uh, building blocks that you can reuse between these different client engagements. Want to walk me through the rest of your stack? Because obviously you are here because you deliver a lot of this stuff as Anvil applications. So do you want to talk to me a little bit about how you use Anvil to deliver these uh, packages for clients? Because uh, for, for us, Anvil was really a, a key discovery in uh, in our solution that we offer to our clients. Uh, so at the first, uh, we had this idea of basis point providing these kind of automated uh, analytics and stuff like that uh, to uh, different parties, clients. Uh, but then we didn't have a clear vision of how to build uh, nice applications uh, or build portals. Uh, what we had back then is we had a lot of experience working with uh, Jupyter Notebook. And we found out that using Jupyter Notebook, we could also be able to build simple apps uh, with Jupyter Hub. You can also create a login process, so you can we set up a Jupyter Hub. You can log in, uh, use notebooks, and also uh, in an uh, application-wise uh, manner. So basically, our initial idea was, hmm, okay, that's perhaps good enough. Uh, we can do uh, great solutions, provide some great solutions like that. Every data scientist's first resort, the Jupyter <laughs> Notebook. If I can do it in a Jupyter Notebook, I'm good. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, we loved uh, Jupyter Notebook, uh, still do. But then we uh, came across uh, Anvil, and uh, I think I was captured by the slogan, like, uh, do it all or Python, no more JavaScript or CSS and uh, stuff like that. Um, so, yeah, I just made an account, just tried it out, and was actually immediately blown away, as in, this is exactly the missing piece to our company that we needed uh, because we are not uh, heavy uh, developers. Uh, we are not front-end developers. We don't know all these stuff like React, Node.js, blah, blah, all these kind of stuff we don't understand. So for us, 
to be able to build a portal in minutes using Python was, uh, yeah, was uh, mind opening. We now use Anvil basically for, for everything that we can think of, uh, all the applications that we build for clients. So basically, if we do a demo, uh, we give a client a demo, the first thing we do is show them, hey, we already built uh, a demo portal uh, with your logo, with your company colors, and we already embedded some report and some uh, dummy applications that you might need. And how long does that take you to prepare before the client meeting? Yeah, and you can spend more time if you want to add some functionality, but the base, yeah, it's really nice. A few hours worked and you have something amazing. Mm -hmm. And So you showed them this demo. Yeah, this always blows away our clients. Uh, so basically all our meetings with clients, I think, I can't remember, I can't think of any um, demo that they weren't impressed with this. Um, so we only get possible uh, positive feedbacks um, on uh, on the ports that we build with Anvil, and and Anvil we can basically embed all our solutions that we uh, we need. So basically, first I will discuss about Power BI dashboards. Mm -hmm. um, for example, at my previous uh, SMN where I worked, I built a lot of Power BI dashboards, um, but they couldn't figure out how to provide these dashboards to their clients via a portal, for example, mm -hmm. which is actually not that difficult. Um, so with Anvil, I was, I mean, yeah, yeah you just slap I, it in an iframe, right? Indeed, slap it in the iframe, uh, and, and you're good to go. And so, yeah, I can do it in a few minutes where this company where I work with, we struggled like two years asking the software <laughs> development thing, Hey, how, when, how long, and what does it need for you to embed our Power BI dashboard in, mm -hmm. in our portal? Oh, so yeah. Um, I, I think honestly, from from my experience talking to people using Anvil, the key words of pain there were asking the software development team, because then you have people who know finance talking to people who know software, and an awful lot gets lost in translation. And when the ability to put together the financial product is living in the same brain that actually understands what the customer needs. Now, now you're getting somewhere. And that's also why Basis Point started, because we had the same issues. You have uh, software development teams. You have uh, other people who are more the, the analysts, let's say, and they're not integrated in one one team or one company or so. And then you get a really big loss of translation. And that's also what we encounter quite often uh, with talking to clients or yeah, other parties. That this is just yeah, really common uh, common issue. Yeah, definitely. I think it's a huge issue. Uh, also, yeah, uh, working a lot with development in uh, such a company, uh, yeah, I had to communicate with a lot of different teams, like the software development team that we have, uh, but also the quant team, also data engineering team, and all these uh, teams. Uh, it's very difficult to get uh, to work to produce something together because there's so much loss in translation. Uh, so basically what we did is we decided to do as much as possible by ourselves. Mm -hmm. And we were able to create solutions much, much faster than all these, uh, the software development team and, and all the other teams that depend on it. So let's get back to the creation of that solution. So you showed someone a demo which actually took a very small amount of time to put together, uh, despite looking very good and having their company colors on. Uh, they're impressed. They go, okay, we're interested in this, but we actually want to know X, Y, and Z about our particular investments. What happens next? Yeah, we tell them also how we do it. So we also tell them that we use, for instance, uh, Anvil, Power BI, or, or whatever tool in order to create this. 
and then uh, they, they, they more or less flesh out what their real requirement mm -hmm. is in terms of do they want to have a report, do they, what's the frequency with which they want to uh, certain calculations to be performed, or maybe, for instance, for one client now, it's not a reporting infrastructure, but it's actually an online portal where there is a calculation application being available. So a user logs in, uh, is able to put in certain uh, parameters for a loan, hit, hit a button to calculate something, and then gets the, out gets the output back and uses it in his day-to-day uh, -day job in order to assess whether or not to mm -hmm. uh, invest in a certain loan, yes or no, and form an investment committee, for instance. So it can be rather different. I I'm guessing that was an example from the development uh, uh, development bank customer. Indeed, yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. So, so you have, so you, you've shown off some generic functionality, and then you have, and then your yeah. customer talks to you about some specific things they need. So, hey, we are in the business of making these development loans. So, help us uh, calculate some important properties of a, of a potential loan. Uh, so, what happens next? Now you've gathered these requirements. Yeah. So we we gather the requirements, and then we start. Uh, uh... Discussing among uh, each other, let's say, okay, how 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 to cope best with these requirements, and and uh, yeah, that we use probably two or three uh, tools there. So uh, or let's say we we know we are going to to develop something in Anvil because we always deliver our solution. Mm -hmm. We more or less flesh out, okay, uh, what do we need from what uh, uh, part of our technology stack in order to uh, meet the requirements of the client, uh, and then we we draft such a Example, and then we start building rather quickly. That's also very nice from from the Anvil perspective. That's also what we got from feedback from our client, because it becomes a sort of an iterative process mm -hmm. where we can very easily and quickly uh, provide the client access to okay, this is now where we are in terms of the even after day one, they can already start logging in and see okay, what's there now. And then one or two days after, they provided some feedback on the first uh, setup. We can even, while, while we have a call with them and when, while we are on the phone, let's say, discussing uh, certain colors or maybe even this button should go left or right, we, that's also what, what amazes clients more or less when we use Anvil. Mm -hmm. They say, yeah, this button, I'd rather have it on the left than on the right. We say, okay, that's no problem. And then while we are discussing some other topic, one of the guys changes the button from left to right. And then we, and then we say, hit F5, please. And then they see that it's changed. And that's what... <laughs> So it's, it's, it's uh, I would say in general, that's similar to why we set up the demo board, it makes it so much more tangible what, what, what for uh, uh, the other side of the table, let's say, so people in the investment management committee or just the client in general who, who have nothing in terms of background for, for uh, uh, coding or software development. And, and uh, me, myself, I was more or less in a similar place uh, five years ago or so. And then now it makes it much more easy to understand what's happening and why it is happening in a certain way. And and, and Anvil uh, helps a lot in getting this kinds of this this story across at clients as well. And it is a very very nice for for a company, especially for us, mm -hmm. to also show your flexibility because yeah, it, it cannot be more flexible than this. So when you're setting out to to build this, do you have a a, a library in your back pocket of uh, reusable I know Anvil components that you've built, chunks that you already use as part of your demos. Do you start with a few of those as, as the basis? Do you have reusable dependencies you use? Or do you build everything from scratch because it's fast? No, uh, we definitely try to uh, do things, I think, uh, properly, like how we set up uh, the financial libraries. Mm -hmm. uh, basically, you want to have uh, a great structure and great reuse reusability in, in there. And using Anvil, we discovered it's basically the same. 
it's exactly the same way you can structure your financial library. For example, Power BI, uh, to embed Power BI, uh, we have a module, we have created a module so that you can do Power BI public, but also secured embed. Mm -hmm. And if you're building an app, we just uh, import a component and then use it directly. Um, uh, so yeah, that's uh, basically what we try to do. And for example, uh, if we start to building a new app, basically we usually already have a, like a template uh, mm -hmm. also the underlying uh, the team, the CSS uh, team template, and uh, we reuse these kind of components. So you've already got actually huge chunks of functionality, uh, which is presumably why you can get yourselves up and running with something so functional on the first day. Yes. After, a, after you've worked out the client's requirements. Yes. Can I ask, what about Anvil specifically as a development environment has enabled this workflow you are talking about? Um, yeah, it's, I think it's a tough question because uh, for me, it's basically everything that uh, Anvil brings. It's it's difficult to uh, point single uh, handedly like, uh, hey, this aspect of Anvil is great. Um, but basically, there are a lot of components that makes uh, Anvil great for us. That we don't have to mind. Uh, we don't have to understand JavaScript, CSS. We can easily add a chatbot. Uh, uh, in the custom library by adding a JavaScript piece of code. We can communicate uh, using the uplink with uh, external APIs. Uh, for example, uh, at this point, what we do is we have a Jupyter Hub set up uh, with notebooks with uh, API uh, functions that is linked to the Envo. So our uh, complicated calculations uh, happens there because we have our library there. Um, so these kind of stuff, uh, it's a, yeah, helps us uh, work, uh, yeah, build our solution uh, immensely. Uh, also, the, the way that we can uh, uh, team work uh, uh, together, uh, we can work as a team on uh, these kind of uh, uh, developing these kind of applications. Uh, I also think that uh, the resource available, like uh, the documents, the forums are tremendous, uh, yeah, have tremendous information. Uh, anytime if we have a problem, we can usually find it in a forum somewhere that someone else experienced. And next to that, I also have to say, um, we really appreciate the Anvil team themselves because they are always really fast. Uh, they are super focused on quality. Uh, the response time is really quick and they're always able to solve um, any problems uh, yeah, very quick, like a few hours. All right, now you're making me blush. Uh <laughs> <laughs> so the, the, the only thing I wanted to add uh, on the top of what uh, Steven said, as a perhaps somebody in the team who is uh, not using Anvil that much, is the flexibility that uh, that Anvil gives. And to give you an example, let's say there is a piece of uh, uh, functionality uh, that needs to be amended because, okay, uh, let's say the client said, uh, let's uh, change this uh, a piece of functionality, and that's uh, related to calculations that... Uh, have to be changed in the in the library that is then linked to the uh, front end that Anvil uh, offers. Mm -hmm. It just happens uh, very quickly. So 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 that's uh, that's really um, something uh, that that allows us to uh, adjust uh, very quickly, and that I think uh, what makes it so powerful. But what also makes it so powerful is the the ease with which you can understand it. Because me myself, for instance, having a, I, I had some uh, Python knowledge. Uh, and understanding just the basic syntax before uh, starting to work with Anvil. But I, I, and I think this is maybe also something that people from the outside might be a bit scared at first. But to me, uh, using Anvil is now as simple as using PowerPoint, let's awesome. say. Whereas what, are, what do people do for PowerPoint or Excel? I mean, using Anvil is for me now as simple as using Excel. So 
why would you still want to use Excel? And this, let's say, knowledge was built up in a few months rather than spending. I, I would say I, I gained knowledge much more quickly in Ample than I gained in Excel. So that that's especially, I think, uh, quite a valuable uh, thing for people from Ample also to know. To If you want to communicate this with a potential client or prospects, instead of doing one course of one or two months in working with Excel, just do one course of one or two months with working with getting to know Python and getting to know Anvil. And then you have a much more powerful tool with exactly the same investment in terms of time and effort. Well, okay, now you are really making me blush. Thank you very much. So to wrap up, there are two questions I always want to ask. And the first one is, what is the most surprising thing you've learned in the process of building all of this? What surprised you the most? The way in which you can surprise other people, and especially clients with indeed what you can build with uh, this limited amount of, uh, if, if we were to call it a limited amount of knowledge of, uh, of these uh, products, let's say. Because what surprised me most is what we can build in terms of indeed a portal. If I wanted to do it, I can deliver a portal tomorrow, just on my own, with sitting down for a few hours. And then, I, and the client thinks probably that we need five developers and, uh, and four uh, front-end uh, designers in order to make it happen. So the difference between the, the let's say the perspective or the idea that the client has when they're delivering a certain solution or portal versus what what it actually takes to to make it that's what surprised me the most you have to agree with that in in the sense that uh, the biggest surprise for me is that we can actually build all the things that we built now <laughs> i've never imagined that uh, basically being possible within a few years time i mean while i would love to take uh, credit for that for Anvil. I think what you've identified there is a deeper truth, which is that there are a lot of places, even in a very numerate field like finance, where a little bit of software development goes an incredibly long way. I, I would also say a modern way of software development, because uh, traditionally you have different teams uh, that have specific knowledge. Now there's more focus on DevOps, uh, Agile, and or a combination of both. Uh, I think we see ourselves as like a sort of combination of both Agile and Dev, but we also have extended uh, knowledge of the business. Uh, that's, so basically, we know exactly what we have to build. That's the key. It's, it's a little bit of software development in exactly the right place yeah. can move mountains. Exactly. All right. So a final question then. In one sentence, why Anvil? Well, with Envil, we can most efficiently build amazing applications without the need for deep knowledge of front-end development. Stephen, Julius, Martin, and Urge from Basis Point, thank you all very much. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, thank you as well for this uh, great, amazing Envil uh, solution that you provided us. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Thanks very much. You've been listening to Stories from the Workshop. My guests today were Stephen, Julius, Urge, and Martin from BasisPoint, and you can learn more about them at basispoint.io. You can learn more about Anvil at anvil.works, or hear back episodes of this podcast at anvil.works podcast. This episode was edited by Baz Richardson, the music was by Signal Smith, and I'll be back next time with more stories from the workshop. <laughs> <laughs>